0: So this is
1: Two Toad. This is Dr. Yoltsaraka.
2: This is Dr. Kaio Dumpert.
1: And uh, we have a special guest here. I mean, to, you know, it's it's one of those moments where you have a friend of a friend who introduced you to a friend or a new friend. So this, this person is someone that works with the ADA, American Dental Association, and uh, she's full of just knowledge. I mean, we talked to dental students previously that are trying to figure out how they're going to graduate. We talked to other people who are members of the ADA, and where we were actually, you know, uh, Dr. Dumper. We had the discussion about what the ADA recommendation was. Correct, right, yeah. right. You yeah. know what I mean. So we figured, you know, why not bring someone on that actually, you know, is there in in the in the in the thick of things, the person that knows a lot of what's going on with the ADA could kind of guide us through this whole process. So, Dr. Amrita Patel, how are you doing?
3: I am great
1: I'm super excited to be here yeah see I like that I want you to keep that enthusiasm and excitement going okay
3: Yep. yeah
1: <laughs> excellent but so what we're, we're gonna start with, we're gonna have you just introduce yourself kind of give us a little bio and then we'll just dive in with questions
3: yeah so um, I am a general dentist and I practice in Westchester County New York so it's about 35 miles straight north of the city um, I went to dental school at NYU like so many of us did and cried and ate Nutella and somehow managed to make it out in 2011. (laughs) Um, And I did a GPR out on Long Island, um, finished that 2012. And then um, I was lucky enough to be hired by my dad shortly thereafter when New York State was kind enough to license me. So I've been in private practice with my father since 2012. um, And I was definitely one of the people that never... Thought I had the time to be involved with anything dental association or organized dentistry related in dental school. You know, the American Student Dental Association (ASDA) is a really powerful voice. Um, the dental students in ASDA work very, very hard for dental student rights, for advocacy, um, and they they have a lot of really great initiatives that, in hindsight, I wish I'd been involved in. But as we all know in dental school, it's the next exam, the next wax up, the next practical. Hopefully, not failing out. Repeat, repeat, repeat. And so. I decided um, a few years into private practice that I was going to try to take my experiences in dental school and then in practice and try to pay all of that kind of forward and, and backwards to all these students that were coming out. Um, and that's where it started. So I um, am chair of my local component, New Dentist Committee. And a few years ago, I became chair of the New Dentist Committee of New York State. Um, and. We decided very early on that we were going to work really closely with our students and residents. New York State, in order to get licensed, uh, a residency is a requirement here. So we have an inordinate number of residents in New York State. Um, and we wanted to make sure that students and residents knew that they had a voice, that new dentists knew that their concerns were being heard, um, and really focused on securing the future of our profession, who are all of these students, residents, and new dentists. So that's what I do. Here
2: I am. So, so, you mentioned you wanted to get involved, but, um, did you have a connection with, as their ADA? Did you have a connection that you reached out to? How did, what did that look like getting involved with them?
3: Yeah, so I actually did not. Um, my father is uh, an endodontist in the area. And he had been involved for years at the local level. So, you know, there's a component dental society everywhere, anywhere that you live in the country. Um, there's a local society, there's a state, and there's, um, of course, the ADA. So I, you know, went to some meetings locally with some CEs and saw that people that looked like me, the younger people, um, were, were not really represented anywhere. And so that's kind of where I went to get involved. Um, and they were really receptive.
1: Okay. okay okay well so a little little side note uh i was actually the vice president of my uh asda chapter of uh university of pittsburgh so uh i don't know if it takes a lot to be a part of asda it's actually what you do after the fact you know but the question i have for you is whenever you're graduating and you know you have to you basically continue with uh, the ADA membership, right? What are they really getting out of it? Like the new dentist, what are they getting out of it? Because after a while, you kind of realize like, hey, has the ADA really done anything for me? You know, yeah. And that was kind of the feeling that I had. You know, because I was a member for a long time. And then after a while, I was like, yeah, I don't know if the ADA is really doing anything. But you still have to pay it in order to do <laughs> perio to be a part of our uh, specialty, yeah. you know, membership. But go ahead, explain to us what the
3: new dentist gets out of the ADA. Good question. So um I'll start with an explanation of what membership really means. So when you're an ADA member, um you are a tripartite member. What that means is that the dues money that you mentioned that goes to the ADA pays for your local membership, your state membership, and your national ADA membership wherever you go. So every state, every society has different benefits. But here in New York, one of our big um one of our big member benefits is um, we work with uh Malpractice Carrier Medical Liability Mutual Insurance Company. They are a great malpractice carrier and there are, you know, member rates and member benefits associated with that. CE uh, always. Um, but I'll tell you that for me, the thing that really resonated the most that um, was really important was honestly the camaraderie and the fellowship that you build with colleagues that you sort of lose when you graduate dental school. Um, you know, you can crowdsource information. I guess people are asking Facebook groups now. Jeeves isn't a thing. But, um, you know, that that kind of support system to know that you're not alone and that if you have questions, whether they be personal or career related, you have somewhere to go. Um, you know, you, I don't know about you, but when I graduated dental school, it almost felt like a loss. All my friends scattered and, you know, my safety net was gone and through membership and organized dentistry, aside from the CE and the malpractice and the peer review and the advocacy and the voice and the platform, that sense of, um, fellowship and camaraderie is really kind of irreplaceable, especially when you're about to have a mental break, which by the way, at the end of some days, I do feel that way.
2: (laughs) So, uh, I, after I graduated dental school, I, I got more into AGD, uh, local chapter, PAGD, uh, and I never really understood why ADA and AGD, Academy of General Dentistry, never worked with American Dental Association. Um, they always kind of kept separate for the most part. Do you have any insight on why that is?
3: Um, you know, I think that, I know that the fellowship in the AGD, there's, there's an exam, right? There's a whole process involved. Yes. Correct. Yeah. So, um, you know, the ADA doesn't require those things. Um, it's pretty much any, it's open, membership is open to any licensed dentist. Um, so I think some of the organizations like the AGD, um, and, you know, others like it, the reason that there is a split is largely because of kind of some of the qualifications and also what comes along with it. Because the AGD also offers, I think, more specialized CE depending on what you want or what you're looking for. Um, than the ADA does. However, thankfully now, there is a lot of back-and-forth uh, acceptance of those CE credits, which we obviously all have to do in order to stay licensed.
0: Okay.
1: All right. Um, here's a question for you. Um, so the um, dental anesthesiologist group, right, the dental anesthesia group, mm-hmm. just became ADA certified. Like, they're basically yeah. recognized by the ADA. I remember when I was a student, and this is 2005, 2006, I don't want to show my age. But when I was a student, I remember that 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 was a fight with the ADA for them to be recognized as an actual specialty group. What do you know about when, when, or why that changed? Why all of a sudden did the ADA say, let's go ahead and accept that? And if it's a, you know, if it's above your pay grade, just say it's above your pay grade, we can move on to a a better question. (laughs)
3: I'll tell you. How about this? I'll tell you what I know. And you kinda hit the nail on the head with acceptance. It was that the people that the dental anesthesiologists are still dentists. They're still part of us. And you know, one of the big differences between um us and our um medical colleagues is that the reason that we are so powerful and the reason that our membership is so strong is because of that sense of acceptance and belonging that is kind of inherent to the ADA and makes it so special. Um, and you know, obviously as dental anesthesiology grew as a specialty, it was not something that we could ignore. These, these colleagues, these peers of ours were still dentists. And so to say, we're not going to recognize you. You're not one of us goes directly against the ADA's mission statement and what we all work for. Um, and you know, obviously there was legalities and other issues that had to be worked out, which those are above my pay grade, but I can tell you what the general concept was. And, um, that was why.
2: So recently, uh, I think we, they came out with, uh, for for boards, you could do the mannequins instead of, uh, live patients. And I, that, that seems to have been a very big talking point for years and years in dentistry. Uh, we need to, you know, how unethical it is to use live patients for, uh, dental exams, licensure exams and all that stuff. Was that passing to uh, have mannequins, was that a a direct result of the coronavirus? Or is that something that ADA has been working on for years and it just kind of, this was the perfect time to really get that to pass?
3: It was the latter. And that's a great question. Um, So we are very much invested in and interested in engaging with the students. That's one of the things that us um, we, the new dentist committee are tasked with. Um, and the idea of a mannequin-based exam actually has been in existence for multiple years. Um, the are 88 councils that had discussed this and it had, the whole plan had already kind of been laid out. Um, I would be lying if I said that the recent pandemic wasn't the kind of kickstart. Um, but that plan had been in existence and the DL OSCE, this mannequin-based exam, um, it had already been discussed and Um, The only thing that kind of the hurdle, the last hurdle, and that's the one that we're facing now, is that although CODA can accept it, you know, and the ADA can say that this is a great alternative, the um, onus falls on each respective state board to decide to approve it. Um, as a licensure equivalent in their states. So one by one, of course, also given what's going on now, we are getting acceptance, and some states are choosing to do, honestly, licensure by graduation. I've heard that's what Tennessee is doing as an emergency basis um, this year. Um, but wow. the long answer to your question is is that uh, the DLASCI has been in existence for a while. It is recent events that kind of kick-started it into uh, fruition. All
2: right, do Dr. you know how many states have accepted the, the mannequin exam?
3: I don't because CODA is meeting on an ongoing basis, as are the state boards. Um, CODA usually meets about two or three times a year. They've been meeting weekly or biweekly because of this. Um, but I do know that there are a significant number of states that have. And like I said, there's even some states that are accepting licensure by graduation. Um, New York is unique, and I can speak on New York because, of course, I'm here. Because in New York, um, back in 2006 or um, we decided on an alternate licensure pathway, which was... Uh, GPR. You could do a residency and be licensed here without taking a licensing board. Um, so many, many dental students that have matched into residencies that want to stay in New York, um, obviously, assuming that they graduate and that the residency programs are able to turn over the residents on June 30th, um, they will be okay.
0: Uh, well, I have a question. Oh, and this greetings
1: is, and this, salutations. Yes, this is Dr. Dennis. <laughs> he, <laughs> he, he, didn't, he didn't do his ridiculous entry at the beginning of this, so he wants to do it now. Go ahead, Dr. Dennis, <laughs> please. Entertain so, us. So, um. <laughs> oh, stop it. <laughs> oh, uh, okay, stop. Okay, <laughs> you don't have right. to encourage this.
0: All right. So, uh, you answered the, the, the licensure question, but what about actual graduation? You know, uh, I know for some schools, you don't have to, like, pass part two of your national boards to, to graduate. A lot of schools you do. Um, yeah. So, like, how are, or what's the ADA stance as far as uh, the students matriculating out of dental school? Um, and then what about those who still need to take part two of the national boards? Like, how you know, is how are they going to do that?
3: Yeah, good question. So, um, the ADA stance is that, obviously, graduation requirements are graduation requirements. So, that comes down to each individual school. And the schools, of course, are convening and deciding on alternate Um, pathways because no one can see any patients. So students are doing a lot of their assignments via Zoom because as you remember, before you still had to go to class for some reason. Um, But in terms of competencies, you know, and and things that are standardized that you had to do with a graduation requirement, they are uh, reviewing students' um, clinical case portfolios, you know, work they've already completed. Um, They're assessing, you know, as of the time that everyone had to go home, how many students were, you know, what percentage of the way done with the requirements? So I think they had said that by the time everyone, the school was shut, schools were shut, it was somewhere about 60 to 75% of the the way done with their their year, with their D4 year. So they are looking to see, well, how many students were 60 to 75% of the way done with their requirements? We should let those people graduate, you know, given that they're Doing their Zoom assignments and everything else, and then they're working backwards. <laughs> there, um, yeah. Zoom dentistry is a thing. zooming I think we're been just a whole we're,
1: new world. We're just laughing because it, literally we're just cutting back requirements to the point where they might just need to look at a teacher to graduate. Yeah. Yeah, just, <laughs> like No more. Send me an on. email. yes yeah, yeah. give, give, <laughs> give, give me a, a high five, and you can graduate. <laughs> you know,
3: yeah. I think one of the issues with something like this is that there's really no one knows, right? The answer is is that. I don't is that there is no answer. So um, and the good news, bad news of that is that everyone is in it together. Right. So it's not just dentistry, it's medicine and law and nursing and pharmacy. It's not just dental students. It's also the undergrad students. What about the people, you know, to your point about part two, to your point? Um, that didn't take visits to, because they put it off till their senior year, because that's what I did. And I'd already gotten into dental school, but you still have to take it because it's still a requirement. But now you're not in school. And what about the lab with it? You know, so everyone and that's the domino effect, right? Um, because the, the matriculating class to the graduating class to the incoming residents, it just goes all the way down the line. So, you know, to my knowledge, dental schools have been, at least in my opinion, pretty fair. Um, they They have said, and I'll speak Um, About NYU, because I know specifically about NYU. Um, They have said that uh, students that were not, um, you know, going to be done on time anyway, they are going to have a delayed graduation, whether that's September or December, that remains to be seen, you know, depending on what happens. But that's not everyone. So there'll be a smaller percentage of the class coming back. Um, As far as prometric based exams, that's kind of something that they're going to have people come back and take whenever those uh, testing centers reopen. Uh, whether you're already into residency or not that's just a matter of going through a testing center and then they can stagger those appointments so there's not you know 10 people 15 people taking a test they'll just spread the timings out
1: okay uh, I got a question and and mm-hmm. I'm not I know the ADA really doesn't have a say in this but I still want to say because you're here and I want to complain um the amount that dental students are being charged I think is ridiculous I mean, literally, to graduate dental school with, I think, what's the average three hundred and fifty, three hundred and eighty thousand dollars worth of debt, and those I were weigh the, more than that. okay, and those were the lucky ones, <laughs> right? So I know the ADA has nothing to do with this. I know, but there has to be some way where the ADA can just finally tell the, the schools, "Hey, enough is enough." Like, how much can you possibly keep charging? NYU, you went to NYU, they're charging over a hundred thousand a year. Like what? What? Where is the roof? Where's the? Where's the ceiling? No where? Where's the ceiling? When? When do you say enough is enough? Like, do we get to a million? Do we get to two million? Do we get to the point where you just can't pay your student loans back? I mean, right. do I need to? Do I need to vote for uh Sanders? I mean, when do we stop? He <laughs> you dropped know? out. Uh, I'm yeah. still gonna vote. <laughs> I'm sorry, he's gonna be way <laughs> too old. For the next time. you know what <laughs> I mean. So, I mean, I joke, but you know, what I mean, where does the ADA? Did you guys discuss this kind of stuff? Especially with debt and new dental, new dentists, and this is your, you know, realm, debt and new dentists. Talk about that.
3: Sure. Um, you know, it is an ongoing topic, and it's one that we're all very um, aware of. Obviously, the ADA telling the dental schools what they can and cannot charge, unfortunately, is not a for However, um, you know, not having interest rates continued interest rather continue to accrue when you're in dental school, that is something that the ADA lobbies for, and you know, the ADA lobby, the ADPAC, is one of the stronger voices down in Washington. Um, and ADA Washington is very prevalent and very much aware of of not just dental dentists issues, rather, but also dental student issues. Um, in terms of new dentists and debt, um, the, the recurring conversation we have is that dental school does a great job, sometimes not a great job, teaching people dentistry and clinical skills. But what we, where we fail miserably is, life skills you know you're releasing all these people out into the world with crushing debt with clinical skills but no skills really on how to service that debt or, or life quote-unquote properly um and i i strongly I and my um committee and, and you know a lot of my new dentists feel that instead of paying you know spear and Panky and dawson who will do some of these great business courses along with their clinical courses or private consultants tens of thousands of dollars this should be an integral part of not only dental school education, but also dental association programming. Um, you know, the number on your contract is not the number that's getting deposited into your account. Um, you know, to buy multiple race cars. Um, you know.
1: <laughs> if, if, if you don't know, uh, Dr. Dennis is a big fan of cars. <laughs>
0: I mean, I, that was a I worked a long time to get. Listen, didn't show up.
1: You
3: knew, you knew I was going to throw that one. Yeah, <laughs> that was amazing. I, that
1: was amazing, <laughs> but that's all good. All right, well, <laughs> let's, let's let's get back to you. <laughs> um,
3: you know, what about retirement? What about um, taxes? And how do you save for that? You know, do you go out and buy the um, Porsche and X whatever M right when you graduate, <laughs> or do you?
0: <laughs> Definitely don't do it when you graduate
3: <laughs> No, do it, do it the year after <laughs> Be like Dr. Dennis um, Or, you know, how, how do you map that out? What does that look like? And by the way <laughs> um, You know, you want to go to a residency program You're going to come out Dental school residency, a million dollars in the hole Then you're going to be um, You know, getting a practice loan And all these banks will lend you money at great rates, no matter what your debt history is, no matter what you have saved. And now you're $2 million in the hole and you still have the life. And what do you do? So the conversation has definitely been, how do we, um, how do we educate all of these dentists better? And why do we have to wait until they graduate to start? This should be woven into the curriculum of dental school and then built upon. So first year, how do you read your credit score? You know, second year, build on that. Third so year, build on that. Fourth year, very basic practice management for reading the contract. And then when you get out into the real world, have programming available that that's accessible and not overwhelming for all these new dentists.
2: So Dr. Ocker likes to play devil's advocate. I'm, I'm going to take that role right now. Yes. Uh, dental... Uh, <laughs> Every year, I mean, with the amount of information we have at our fingertips, uh, you know, when dental school was started, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of information on dentistry now, but it's just information is just developing so rapidly right now. I mean, 10 years ago, we weren't scanning people's mouths, no CAD cam, no like cone beam CTs weren't, you know, a real stand becoming a standard or anything like that. So if, it seems like every year the dental student needs to learn more and more and they're trying to squeeze more and more stuff into those four years. So if you're trying to add an, a whole nother aspect of, you know, financial running a business, um, you know, mechanics go to school to learn how to work on a car. They, they If you want to learn how to run a business, you go to business school uh, or you take classes on your own and you figure it out there. It's, uh, if they're going to make this a requirement to start adding some of this stuff in, then that four years is going to become five or six years. And then that's going to increase the, your tuition costs. Cause instead of paying four years of tuition, now you're at five years where I can come out of dental school. I can take a class for a couple thousand dollars and get that same information on my own time. So uh, as far as trying to incorporate it into, um, the the existing grueling dental education that's there now, uh, I I don't really have a question. That was just I was just <laughs> he's making statement. He was just angry.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, it would it would be I think it'd be more beneficial if you know in the residency program they learn some of that stuff because at least if they're doing well, you know some GPRs. Especially if it's a hospital-based or whatever, you know, you're gonna get um with that PY one, so you're actually gonna be getting paid something. Uh So then, you know, you're not paying for a whole another year of dental school. Um, I'm just just throwing that out there.
1: You know? Okay. Well, yeah. let me yeah. let me yeah. Yeah. let me, yeah. let, me yeah. let me let me piggyback off of Dr. Dennis and and actually have a question is <laughs> which is which is what do you think about the lack of um the lack of quality? I mean quantity of procedures that these dental students are graduating with why don't we just make it where everybody has to and i get it there's some people are going to say well that's not fair but everybody has to say take some kind of residency or be held accountable for I mean, improving their, their, their skills before they really get out there and you know go work for a corporation or work for their dads or whoever let me let me, parap- think- let, me let me phrase it a different way these students don't know what they're doing but yet they're still graduating you're
0: right. We
2: need to figure mm-hmm. a way to basically improve their I still skills. Know what I'm okay, so, so you, <laughs> but that was not attack on sound, you. But <laughs> it, it sounds like you are saying maybe there should be some kind of national uh, exam that work on patients to prove some kind of competency. No, <laughs> 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 <What>?
0: <laughs> no, minimal, minimal, minimal well, competency.
1: No, I honestly, I think, I think New York has it right. I think New York has it right where they have to, you have to go to at least a one-year residency i really believe new york has a right california has the same thing okay well new york and california have a right i think everybody should do at least a one-year residency i did a one-year residency i learned so much more than i did in demonstrate i mean so much more you know so i honestly think that one-year residency should happen is the ada even considering that at all is that too political for people to even touch
3: Um, New York, I will tell you that we very strongly believe in the alternative licensure pathway in that residency. And that was one of the things. um, And I was an undergrad when it was passed, but I, from what I have heard, and from what I have learned, that was one of the big reasons behind it. Um, And, you know, look, I say it all the time when I speak to dental students, it's called the practice of dentistry because we continually practice, right? So you practice on plastic teeth, you practice giving each other shots, you practice on patients, you practice in CE, and then you practice and practice and practice. And that's why, you know, we're lifelong learners. So I think that, um, you know, obviously short of the uh, national clinical exam to demonstrate minimal competency, um, you know, a residency program. And in my personal opinion, having that as a requirement is not a bad thing because really why are we here anyway? It's to take the best care of our patients, right? So any amount of practice that we can get, um, really only benefits the patients that are going to put food on our tables and race cars in our garages forever.
1: I like the race car <laughs> part. That was the best part.
3: That, <laughs> that, they, they
1: all left
0: very happy with the <laughs> oh, okay
3: <laughs> Magic hands. All right.
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Well, I, can I ask an, uh, another question? Uh, corporate dentistry. Okay. I know, again, the ADA is kind of torn, I'm sure. Uh, but corporate dentistry, right? We, we've been saying this for a long time, uh, that corporate dentistry might take over dentistry and, 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 you know, having a mom and pop store was something that we all aspire to do, but not all of us can afford to do that because of debt or just not being able to be prepared as a business owner. So what is the ADA stance on corporate dentistry or do they, do they not even care?
3: So it kind of goes back to what we were talking about with dental anesthesiologists. It doesn't matter whether you're a corporate dentist, a mom and pop dentist, a a dentist in academia, you're still a dentist, right? So we try very hard not to to delineate and sit there and say, well, you know, you're not in private practice and you're not a practice owner and you work for a school and you work for a DSO. There are, of course, always people amongst our ranks who um, kind of scoff at that a little bit, but... That's not inclusive. That's not what the ADA is about. And increasingly more and more, it's more about how can we all work together, right? So how can the academic dentist work with the private practice dentist, work with the new dentist, work with the people that, um, you know, are in DSOs? And if there's issues, let's find common ground and work from a place of education rather than being adversarial with people that are our peers. So that is, I think, what the ADA's mentality is and definitely what the state's dental association's mentality is. Mm-hmm. And look, Everyone needs to work. Right. And the truth is, is that, you know, we have a few offices here and we can't afford to hire tons and tons of new grads. Everyone has to work. And private practice just physically cannot afford to hire all of these grads, especially as more and more dental schools open. So there has to be a place for a dentist to work. And whether that's working at a dental school or at an FQHC or, you know, abroad or at a DSO, they still have to work. And uh, that's the bomb. I
1: agree. I completely agree with that last
0: part. Well, well, I have a question. So you just mentioned that, you know, the ADA is is really on this togetherness. We're all dentists. We're all in it together. Uh, but... That sounds sarcastic. Uh, wh- well, when I go to pay <laughs> my dues, right, there is a fee for faculty. There is a fee for military. Mm-hmm. There is a fee for grads or students in a residency and then there's everybody else's feet and everybody else's feet costs way more than those other ones so they're you know actually separating say, everybody
3: right? like, you're complaining about this fee you know where this is going.
0: <laughs> well I mean okay I'll, I'll put it this way so I went to I went to Howard for for general school right
3: waving a pen for emphasis
0: yeah well well a uh, full-time faculty at Howard is three and a half days right? The vast majority of all the faculty also have a practice. So they're also working in their own practice as well. So I I was thinking that you were going to say, well, faculty don't get paid as much as, you know, a general dentist who owns their own practice. And I was like, but these faculty do own their own practice. But I didn't say that. I I figured that's where you were heading. So, so where are we going with this question?
3: <laughs> I just want to you know,
0: know. I, mean, I want to know where this question. To pay more?
1: Why does he have to pay more? Why
0: do all of us have
1: to pay? More? Versus, you know, uh, students and faculty, and, and not not mil students. and military. <laughs> I have. Right. Yeah.
3: So students and residents should be self-explanatory. Um, you know, and for as many faculty as there are that have their own practices, there's just as many that have do not practice privately and are full-time academia, period. And so that three and a half days is a three and a half days. And even some, most of the full-time faculty, um, their salaries are nowhere near as well as ours will be for the most part. Um, but one of the things that we have talked about potentially, you know, is these bigger groups and not just DSOs, but also these federally qualified health centers, right? Um, these dentists that kind of all work there Um You know, why aren't there rate categories, for lack of better words, for them? Um, And that's definitely a discussion that's ongoing. So,
2: okay. Can I uh, switch topic a little bit? Uh, Went to the elephant in the room of coronavirus. Uh, There has been a, uh, since it has grown in the United States, uh, there was a lot of frustration around the country with uh, all the dentists that seemed like the ADA was either dragging their feet or took a, a really long time to come out with recommendations. Uh, can you kind of give us an inside view of, you know, what was going on with the ADA from December until now and kind of what their plan of attack was uh, to advise us all to how to keep ourselves safe, team members safe, uh, patients safe.
3: Yeah. Um. So I will start with the ADA's plan and and kind of going backwards. The ADA is not a governing body, so the ADA can't make mandates. Right. The ADA can make recommendations. Keep laughing. No, he, 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 he's no, happy because time. he says this every <laughs> like, time.
1: We we get it.
3: <laughs> and so we were we the ada the dental associations were aware like everyone else was you know of this coronavirus and you know monitoring what was happening and continuing to monitor what was happening so obviously as the situation changed and you know in hindsight's always 2020 and could we all have responded sooner yeah we could have we could have as practitioners our governments could have the dental associations everyone could have right um where we started was from a point of, look, we are in a higher risk category as a profession because the data says that this lives in aerosol a lot longer than it lives anywhere else. And we mm-hmm. kick up aerosol. Um, and that's just what we do. So back, and I believe it was the beginning of March, March 10th or 11th, when um, the ADA put out its one of its first video statements, that was before there were kind of rolling shutdowns. And what we then said is our recommendation is, you know, switch to emergency care only because right now we don't know if there's a med combo that works, if the social distancing is going to work, if this thing is going to burn itself out, what the science is, what the data is. And the ADA has, um, you know, an entire research institute devoted to this. And they've got, you know, of course now they've got task forces and people working this kind of around the clock. But, like I said before, when we were talking about students and and graduation, the answer is, is that there was no answer and truly no one really knew. Okay. So what's happening now going forward, of course, now that we're kind of in the thick of it is there's a couple important things that everyone is considering. The first is we have patients we have to take care of, right? Dentistry is not the kind of thing where we can leave people in intermediate steps, temporaries, you know, halfway through perio treatment. Um, you know, incomplete root canals, all these things, those turn into problems. And we want to keep our patients away from the EDs, right? We don't want to flood the EDs because, God forbid, this thing spikes again or it gets worse. That's the exact wrong place for a dental patient to end up. The next concern is obviously ourselves and spread, right? And, you know, is the PPE that we use um, going to adequately protect against anything? What about the N95s? What are these KN95s? What's gray market? What's black market? You know, our PPE was developed in response to bloodborne pathogens, right? HIV, Hep C, that's what these things came about as, right? I mean, 30, whatever, however many years ago, they were working bare hands. Um, and it took a lot of testing and a lot of time to realize that PPE as it exists before coronavirus was standard of care. So, you know, where we're at right now is that we're trying to sync common sense and protecting our profession with scientific data. And unfortunately that leads to information not being pumped out as fast as we would all like. Um, but personally I would rather, um, you know, factual accurate data coming out rather than statements being made and then retracted kind of like some people that are in office right now that we will not mention here. Um, and, and that's kind of where we're at. You know, I, I, it doesn't really matter, you know, where you lean politically, um, we're all scientists and we like black and white and logic and I want to know the facts and I want to know the data and, you know, preemptively making statements like, you know, all of dentistry is going to be closed down until September, Oregon, I think shut down right now. Their mandate says September 20th. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, they said that, and now God willing, we're able to go back before then that's going to have to be walked back. But that came from the state of Oregon government, right? Based off of data that's a month old at this point. Mm-hmm. And you see that, you know, you've got New York saying we've already plateaued. So that's kind of what's happening with the ADA. And that's why you're seeing some of the lag that you're seeing and some of, you know, the frustration that comes with the lag, which I understand.
2: The, uh, as a follow up question to that, uh, as you mentioned, uh, with uh, the governments being the regulating bodies per the state and federal level, CDC and um, all of them, the, uh, how, how much is the ADA participating in the talks with the regulating bodies on, you know, stressing the need for evidence-based recommendations versus a lot of times in politics, you go with what is going to make people feel better versus what's going to, what's actually scientifically going to keep people safe. Um, so question being how, how much is the ADA participating in those talks?
3: Um, Good question. Like I said, the ADA lobby and the ADA presence in Washington is one of the strongest out of kind of all the professions, really, period. Um, And they are front and center advocating, lobbying for for evidence-based decisions to be made across the board, um, obviously. And so, you know, at the state level, we are working to make sure that you know, our governors and our states know that we're stockpiling appropriate PPE for our dentists, that dental issues and dentists are essential. We are not non-essential. Dentistry is an essential service. Um, and the most important thing is that we're healthcare providers. So that classification and the fact that right now many dentists feel and rightly so that we've been told we're non-essential is the first major change that needs to occur. Um, and that's what we are working on communicating to government and not just obviously in Washington, but obviously uh, also each state, um, because that's the first, like I said, the first essential switch that has to happen. So um, in terms of the science, we also um, are talking about dentists being able to administer COVID saliva tests, you know, or COVID tests in general. Why not? Why not? Um, and that, I think, is only an added benefit. Um, you know, the, the, sensitivity and specificity of those tests, you hear a lot being kicked around about that, but, um, dentists should be allowed to administer those tests. And that only adds to the layer of data that can help us.
0: Well, I, um, so I don't think it was, it's an issue of, you know, should be. I think it's an issue of access. Like, where are the tests? How many, you know, how many tests are there? Um I who's know and, and, pay for the test. Yeah. We, yeah. yeah, Who's going to for <laughs> Who's going to uh ship the test to get analyzed? Mm-hmm. Pay for that. Um and then I like it. you you said that some dentists feel like they're were told they were, have been told they're non-essential. I don't I don't think it really has to do with that. I think it's more of the PPE. So if there's a lack of PPE I feel like the government or state, local, whatever governments are looking at it as if, if you know, if you need an N95 to drill on somebody's tooth and this person needs an N95 to save this person's life, you know, what's more important?
1: Well, I mean, don't forget, too, a lot of um dentistry, a lot of what we do in dentistry is elective. If you think about it, right? If you consider what's true emergency versus what's elective, a crown, elective, right? Uh, um, veneers and all those stuff, elective. But most of the stuff that we do is elective. You know what I mean? And so I'm guessing that when people look and see what they can truly charge now versus what they were charging in the past, like ortho and stuff like that, that's probably where the, you know, that I think the people used to say butthurt. I don't, I still don't know what that means, but you know what I mean? <laughs> that. I meant you got kicked in your ass. Okay, there you go. That's but, a but, <laughs> so, yeah. But, wow. but that's, that's, I think that's why dentists are kind of like, you know, butthurt about this whole situation because they realize like, man, a lot of my revenue is gone. You know, so truly I'm not that essential. You know what I mean? And I think that that's where it is, but I mean, you know, let's, we can talk about it. Let's just discuss that. Well, I, I, mean, I
2: think, so, I, I, I think that, that speaks to our profession because yeah. dentistry used to be emergency only. Right. People came in when there was a tooth toothache, toothache right. and we understood as a profession, we can prevent a lot of these problems. Just like if you listen to your primary healthcare provider, you can get your other medical stuff taken or under control before it kills you. Same with dentistry. Like you come in to see us. We get these small problems taken care of before it turns into big problems and, uh, that makes us essential. That doesn't make us emergency only, Dennis. And that's why I think we can delay a lot of things because we've done our job over the past fifty, sixty years, and we've made it so we're keeping people out of life-threatening uh, situations unless you know they decide to delay treatment on their own accord. Okay.
3: Okay,
1: Dr. Patel, anything?
3: Um, you know, I think the. Uh, people feeling like they've been told they're non-essential comes from the limitations being placed on about what emergent care is and, you know, the accompanying frustrations. I've, you know, there's definitely patients that, you know, just a cleaning, as we know, is not always just a cleaning, right? And, you know, there's a lot of things that in the guidelines that have been released about what's emergent and what's not that people are finding issue with. And, and obviously, it, it all goes both ways. And we're not talking about bleaching, we're we're talking about things like you know, what they've said, routine hygiene appointments, routine cleaning appointments. And like I said, there, there's a lot of kind of ambiguity in that. And I think that's where people's um, feelings get hurt. Um, I think, again, it all comes down to, one of you said it, PPE and how do we protect ourselves, right? And where do we get it? And once that we have adequate supplies of that, why can't we do a lot of the things that we've been told are quote unquote non-emergent. And at least here in New York, that's the, the, um, the kind of path that we're choosing to take. We're working on sourcing PPE for our members, figuring out, you know, how to get it at cost in large quantities, especially now that it looks like, you know, again, God willing, this curve is is flattening and things are starting to go um, in the right way here in New York. And then what, what an opening would look like, you know, I. My father and I have been having conversations about potentially opening up all of our offices six days and spreading everyone out. And, you know, that might be what getting dentistry classified as essential and allowing us to do a lot of the procedures that we've been told we can't do. um, That might be what it takes. But it's kind of anyone's guess. um, But we're working all angles. And then, you know, do we pass the charge on of PPE to our patients? And what does that look like? especially because now we are going to be you know, responsible as practice owners for buying it because now that might be the standard of care, right? This new N95s and whatever else and having to swap them out, maybe it's not enough to have one, you know, and what does that look like? And now you've got, you know, way larger overheads because you're running more days, you're working more hours, you've got to pay your staff, for are all making overtime. And now what do you do? Um, and you know, that leads to the discussion of the uh, mess that is paycheck protection and, and the cares act and everything that's going on with that. Um, but that's kind of, those are my thoughts.
2: I think the a uh, concern with like, I, I'm i all for, you know, having to charge the patient additional costs for PPE, if that's what it's going to be required to treat them. But that also, I mean, the general population, I think, looks at dentistry as, you know, we're, <laughs> Uh they they don't look on us very favorably. It's always, you know, we're taking money out of their pocket. It's they, they don't take accountability for maybe the problems that uh they've created in their own mouths. But uh if we're all of a sudden tacking on even more charges, uh I, I think that makes dentistry look even worse uh from the financial aspect, but uh, trying to get that to Maybe have insurance companies pay for that, then that gets into a whole other lobbying issues of you know if, if we can get insurance. Well, I mean, we can't even get insurance companies to raise their fees, let alone start paying for other things. Uh, so I, it's a you know it, a, a very complicated problem, and I, I don't think a lot of people know what the answer is.
1: Okay, let me ask a question. What did, speaking of insurance, um, what is the ADA doing to help dentists? You know, with kind of fighting against some of the uh, corrupt things that the insurance companies are doing.
3: With regards to what?
1: With, with regards yeah. to uh, lowering our fees, with regards to basically forcing you know, forcing some dentists to just take the lower fees and all this extra stuff that they're doing. Denying so, den- denying. denying, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, yeah, exactly. So what is the ADA doing for these dentists? Because, again, remember, you started this whole thing by saying, hey, the ADA is really great. You know, we're looking out for everybody. So the most important thing that most dentists care about is what? Getting our money back, right? Getting paid for what we're doing. So what's the ADA doing when it comes to dental insurance and and, and making sure that we're actually getting the fair end of this whole deal?
3: Good question. So... Um, in terms of insurance, that is actually a state by state issue. So that comes down to your state dental association. Um, and you know, third party payers and the way they're managed and the specific issues with dental leasing bills and, you know, you're 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 a network with one insurance company but you didn't realize that you know now you're actually by being a network with one you're a network with all of these and some of the ones that you weren't aware of actually have way lower fees that is actually a state by state issue um that is not an that's not something directly that the ada does because each state as you know is different and has different rules um you know i think in terms of you know we've been fighting this battle with insurance companies and insurance a long time dental insurance well, originated in the nineteen seventies as a benefit to get workers to work for these big large companies. Um and their dental insurance benefit back in the seventies was do you know what it is? Or what it was rather?
1: Fifteen hundred.
3: Yep. So it was fifteen hundred dollars in the 1970s. <laughs> right? So yeah. fifty years later, the cost of everything has gone up and what has not gone up? Uh
2: <laughs> the, the, uh, they're here. Maximum yeah. benefit.
3: So, who's really making out like a winner here?
0: I'd say the, the Insurance companies. Well, right. But,
3: one of the yeah. fun facts that I learned is that anytime a dental insurance company pays out for anything, including a preventative visit, they write it off on their books as a loss. So, this goes back to, kind of, at least for me, communicating with patients and spending the time educating them. Listen, at the end of the day, we all have to do business and we all have to make choices about what we're going to be in network with or not. Um, you know, there are a lot of intricacies to dental insurance. And in terms of the specific issues with why are they lowering our fees and what leverage do we have, that is a state by state issue. Um, however, I will tell you that directly or not directly as a result of what's going on, um, especially on social media, there's been a lot of dentists, a lot of dentists that are seriously considering going completely out of network, you know? And, and again, that's, you know, obviously collusion and antitrust is a thing, so we're not going to directly address that, but does that change the landscape of dental insurance? It might.
1: Well, if anybody wants to know, uh, Tooth Be Toad uh, did an episode on uh, dental insurance, uh, episode thirteen. <laughs> You know, have to start my own <laughs> show. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> Episode 13, Toothby toed, uh, Dental Insurance 101. That's, that's I'm going to listen to up. that. I, I, ne- I need it you to. Uh, you, you should that have was tried. a good one. Uh, I, I wanted
2: to play that on loop in my waiting room.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we are beneficial. But <laughs> can you give new dentists and just dentists in general some of the things that you've learned and, and little tips on like, hey, if you go to this website for the ADA, you'll be able to get you know no, free ce or you'll be able to get free you know um literature for your patients stuff like that let's just kind of end on a nice little note on little tips things that most dentists should know about the ada and how they benefit
3: them a lot mostly yeah, so, mostly free um, stuff
1: mostly free stuff i like free stuff
3: sure so <laughs> the best honestly the best free benefit to membership especially for the new dentist is uh making the connection to find good jobs and per potentially buy-in, buy-out opportunities, rental opportunities. Um, you know, yes, you can look online on Indeed and Craigslist and all these other places, but your state and local dental associations have access, give you access to free classifieds and often have Job fairs, and you know, we do speed networking and all sorts of things where you might potentially meet your next boss, business partner, and eventually the person who's practice you buy. Um, and to me, that's pretty invaluable, especially as a new dentist. Um, as far as the ADA goes, the ADA website they have an entire section devoted to uh, new dentists. They constantly post. Um, very much updated information, dental insurance and finding a job and ADA is actually rolling out a program um, that is going to be matching practice buyers with practice sellers, which is a great benefit because as we know, brokers often cost a lot of money. Um, but you know, this comes with an as an ADA benefit and with reduced fees all the way around um, for some of the costs associated with buying a practice. So, um, you know, the longer I kind of do this, the more I realize that increasingly newer and newer grads want to kind of strike out on their own and do their own thing and making those contacts that's so invaluable and not just with the person you buy from or who's going to do your build out, but the contractors and the attorneys and everyone else that goes along with it. And the dental insurance reps and the, you know, the practice equipment reps and all of those things that, is available via, um, oftentimes the events that your state and your local societies hold. And then the ADA, I would say their website does have a whole wealth of free information, um, about everything that you should be looking for in terms of, um, in terms of all of those things. So that's where I would start. And membership obviously grants you access to all of those things at no cost. Um, and as a student and as a resident in New York, your membership is zero dollars.
1: All right, cool. And the last thing that we always talk about is where do you see dentistry going now that we're in this whole COVID-19 situation?
3: So I see dentistry as changing in a multitude of ways. Um, I think our schedules are going to change at least in the short term, um, you know, 18 to 24 months. And that's probably going to be because of a combination of the unknown and regulations. You know, I don't think we're going to be able to run three or four or five chairs at once. Some of these um, dentists are able to do. Um, I think that the way that we um, kind of present treatment plans and stage treatment and do treatment is going to be different because oftentimes there's lab work involved. And, you know, we're dependent and reliant on, on things that are going to change on that end as well. They might not be able to process cases as fast. You're going to have to be able to take that into account. Same day dentistry may be, um, you know, even bigger of a thing than it is now, because at least then you eliminate that step, um, you know, in terms of infection control that might happen. And, you know, we'll kind of, we'll kind of see where that goes. I think the other thing that's important that I've been telling a lot of new grads is you might not even more so now than ever land in the job that you see yourself in forever, right out you might have to adjust your expectations of what's available and frankly, what you're going to be doing in terms of procedure work. And that's okay. Um, but I think dentistry as a whole is, is going to come out on the other end of this and be okay.
1: Wow. Okay. Well, I think that was positive. Uh, you know, thank you so much, Dr. Patel, for coming through. We, no, we definitely appreciate you coming through uh, to kind of educate us on the ABA. Uh, if the, anybody wants to get a hold of you with more questions, how do they do that?
3: Um, my Instagram handle is at D-D-R-A-M-R-I. Um, my email address is the first four letters of my first name. A-M-R-I, my full last name, Patel, P-A-T-E-L, at NYU.edu. Um, and you can find me on social media, too.
1: All right. Thank you so much, Dr. Patel. We appreciate your time. Thank right. you for
3: Thank having you. me. All right. All right thanks.
1: So, Bye. Thank you for listening to Tooth Be Told. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at realdentist, with an s at gmail.com. That's realdentist, R-E-A-L, dentist, with an s at gmail.com. Remember, the opinions on this podcast are just that, our professional opinions. The final decision about your health should be made by you and a trusted dental professional.